to understand the markets, to know how to engage with government or businesses within the region, to be able to form trusted relationships. What do you need to succeed in business with Asia? In 2012, the government white paper Australia in the Asian Century said leaders will need to be Asia literate and have deep experience. But how do you learn Asia literacy and how do you best gain the right deep experience relevant to your business? Welcome to Insight Edge, the podcast all about leadership from the Australian Institute of Management. My name's Kirsten Lees. This month, we'll be looking at international dimensions of leadership with a focus on the world's fastest-growing market, Asia. How can leaders tailor their own skills and enable their organisations to take advantage of the Asian century? And what are some of the barriers? There's a natural hesitation sometimes about moving into a particular market and how that may affect their domestic operation back here in Australia. In this first episode, we talk to Megan Mullier, Director of Research and Education at AsiaLink Business. In 2014, AsiaLink Business published the 11 critical capabilities for business success in Asia. What are they and how do Australian businesses stack up? So the research into um, uh, Asia capability and what eventually evolved into these 11 critical capabilities really came as a result of um, the paper that was put out by the government at the time, which was Australia in the Asian Century. So um, quite senior quite a few senior executives at um, some significant Australian firms realised that there was a real need to understand what Australian firms needed to do in order to better engage with, with Asia. So... Uh, a task force was set up. So the task force looked at exploring what areas were holding Australian businesses back from um, effectively operating in the region. So under that task force, they decided to delve into, um, you know, what what particular aspects would be critical for businesses to focus on um, when looking to engage with Asia. And they came up with a list of six individual capabilities and five organisational capabilities um, that would support developing Asia-based strategies and allowing organisations to more effectively engage with the region. A lot of research leading up to this report had focused on language as a competency to be Asia-capable. And what the task force really wanted to do is to delve in beyond that because, of course, language is a component of, of capability. But really, at the end of the day, at least if we look at some of the individual capabilities, the ability of an individual to be to to understand the markets, to know how to engage with um, government, for example, or businesses within the region, to be able to form trusted relationships, um, you know, to understand not just language but behaviour in a cultural context, was really just as as, as critical um, as as having you know the ability to communicate. And if, in fact, when you look at a lot of the markets in Asia. You know, English as a spoken language has been on the increase for for some time. So, you know, for example, a market like Singapore or Hong Kong, you can quite easily get by with English. Perhaps, you know, China is a different story and some of the other markets are a different story. But, you know, we wanted to look at and focus on just beyond language, what were some of the other essential capabilities that would really help Australian businesses be able to effectively operate in the region? I think the biggest gaps were around those capabilities that required some time to build as well. So some of the biggest gaps were around, uh, you know, the trusted relationships, knowledge and understanding as well. So particularly if we look at the small to medium enterprise sector, 
for some of these companies, they may not have the capability within their organisation, the time or the budget to actually look at these markets and understand what they need to do with their business, um, you know, in order to succeed in the, reg in the region. So um, we delved into where those gaps were and, and how we could better support some of these businesses to build those capabilities so they'd be in a better position to, to engage in effectively with these markets. Given that we have such a multicultural population in Australia and therefore multicultural workforce, are Australian businesses making the most of people who are native speakers from different Asian countries and are those people getting into those senior executive roles or the export leading roles? I definitely I mean th this has been an issue that has come up in a, in a lot of reports as well and you know it's referred to in, in various manners whether it's what is considered the, the Asian faces on, on Australian boards or whether it's, you know, um, Asian background people within senior leadership positions within Australian organisations. It's definitely an area that has been touched on a lot in terms of research. I mean, whether we're tapping into, you know, whether they're Australian born or whether they're, you know, Chinese or Indian diaspora populations here in Australia that we can leverage to better support our movement into the region. There's there's a lot of research that focuses on this is an issue. For example, the Diversity Council of Australia came out with a report that was referred to as the Bamboo Ceiling Report that really delved into Asian background Australians sitting in senior leadership roles within Australian organisations. So, and, and we believe that that, that kind of research is, is, is vital to understanding Asia capability. We would also like to see it go a step further where Asian background is, is definitely an advantage, but we, we like to look at it more from a capability point of view where it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have an Asian background. You may have a non-Asian background, a European background, for example, but have spent substantial time within the region and understand even from a language or um, you know, from a work experience point of view, how the region operates. And therefore, you may in fact even be somewhat more Asia capable than someone who may originate from, from an Asian background. Do you have a sense or are you working on something that can show whether we're improving and closing those gaps on those critical capabilities? Definitely. Um, we're looking at developing a report. In fact, we've started our research into uh, not only just the ASX 200 board members, but also looking at senior leadership within Australian firms to measure them on these six individual um, capabilities. So we're literally going through and looking at the profiles of senior leadership, executive management, and measuring them in terms of their knowledge of the market, have they spent time in the region, do they speak a language, for example, are they able to build longer-term relationships with customers, clients, government, for example, in the region, um, and looking to come out with a much more, I guess, in-depth, reflective position of where Australian business are, um, and that is to build, not only to build on previous research that, that has been done, but also to give us a bit of a benchmark going forward as well in terms of here we are in 2016 and perhaps again whether we do it in 2018, 2020 to start um, measuring the improvements in, in uh, these particular capabilities. A lot of Australian Institute of Management members are, run small to medium-sized businesses. Is there support for them to help close the gap themselves? 
Definitely. I mean, and that's uh, why an organisation like AsiaLink Business exists, because we are very much targeted with developing Asia capability within the Australian workforce with a large emphasis on supporting small and medium enterprise. So, for example, as a result of this report that was done back in 2012, what evolved was a realisation that small and medium enterprise needed support not only from uh, an information point of view and their access to the right information to help them make decisions, they also needed support from um, a training and capability development point of view and they also needed a way to advocate for themselves in the region. So we've developed a range of, of, of tools to support support small medium enterprises in, in that area. So for example, we have developed country starter packs for 11 markets in Asia um, and they range from everywhere such as China through to India, uh, South Korea, Japan, through Southeast Asia for example. And they're really practical, applied um, information that small, medium enterprise can know everything from how, how do I start looking at a particular market? How would I establish a business there? How do I need to sales and market my product or service into that, into that market? What do I need to consider? Will I get any benefits from the existing FTA free trade agreement they, that may exist between Australia and that particular market? Um, and, and really other practical information such as, you know, if I'm going there and I'm taking a client, where should I take them? Where should I take them for lunch or where where should I stay or what apps could I use to help me in that market? So um, th there's a range of information tools that we have. Additionally, we have um, a very comprehensive suite of basically adult education type of programs that help small medium enterprises who may be looking at a particular issue such as negotiation skills in a particular market or market entry skills that help them develop some of these capabilities and provide them the support that they need to effectively operate in the region. So we have represent representation all over Australia. In terms of in-market presence, we have a very strong presence in markets such as Singapore. Um, where there is specific need in a particular market, what we do is we link in through our networks and our relationships that exist in those markets to help support the specific needs of uh, what what a particular enterprise or business may have. You know, we work very closely with organisations such as Austrade, for example, or the various government business offices or business chambers um, to help them as well link these businesses into the particular market they may be looking at. Do you see that there's a surge in businesses taking it the next step further and and actually seeking to to do business overseas. Definitely, um, small with small medium enterprise, there's there's a lot of interest. There's a natural hesitation sometimes about moving into a particular market and how that may affect their domestic operation back here in Australia. Um, we've done a lot of in-depth case studies with with organisations to um, small medium enterprises to understand what some of those concerns may be, and they're pretty broad ranging as well. Um, you know they extend from everything like, well, you know, I'm concerned that it's going to be a financial exposure for my company or I'm concerned that I may not be able to attract the, the talent that I may need in market or they may even feel that it it results in a bit of a, a brain drain in their domestic operation if they're sending key staff to go and open an office, you know, within Asia. So they have a very broad range of concerns at times. And, and what we also do is we help network these organisations also with each other within a particular market so that they can draw on experience and understand what some of those challenges may be and also how they may potentially overcome them. But, you know, we always encourage these businesses to have a very detailed and considered strategy about how they want to enter into a market. 
you know, we've often had dialogue with some of these these companies about they may have considered China as, as, as a point of entry and they've gone in and they've had some issues, but they've realised, okay, that may not be the market that works best for me. Um, so they may have pulled out of China and then looked into another market where they've found significant success. So for every business, their journey into Asia is, is different but there's certainly a very strong network and I guess depth of experience that they can draw on, not just from Asian business, but from many organisations to support them in that journey. Yeah, and you know what we've found as well is that success in a domestic market doesn't always necessarily translate into success in another market. So we always encourage businesses to really understand, you know, the consumers or or the space that they're moving into that market. Um, and I guess one of the key messages that often comes back to us is that going in to a market and looking at where your niche experience and expertise is and focusing on that as a starting point is often the precursor to, to building and then expanding and moving on. And we've spoken to many, many businesses and also particularly within the services space as well, where they may have not been able to compete with some of the big players in, say, in management consulting or in illegal services, but they've been able to go in and build off the, the, the very specialised knowledge that they have, whether it's around the resources sector or whether it's around another very specific experience, and provide that level of expertise and then build their business from there. And often what we've found is Asia has provided them not 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 just a launch pad for a, a specific market in Asia and other markets within the region, but sometimes we've heard of experiences where they may have gone into Korea and they've provided a, a very good service and they've supported even Korean businesses look at to look to their expansion into uh, Africa and Europe, Europe and beyond. So um, yeah, we, we always encourage businesses to to make sure they're very aware of what their unique selling point is, I guess. So where will people find the case studies and also the country starter packs? Sure. Um, they're available on our website, uh, www.asialinkbusiness.com.au, um, and they're freely available resources as well to support businesses. In future episodes of our look at international dimensions of leadership with Insight Edge, we talk to Australian Institute of Management members whose leadership careers have taken them around the world. And we interview Asia expert David Thomas on what's good and what's not about international trade delegations. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe to be the first to listen to future episodes and to catch up on some of the other podcasts we've done, including interviews with Leanne Kemp, startup entrepreneur, Mike Hanley, head of digital from the World Economic Forum, David Hall, Qantas executive and Jetstar CEO, Louise Robinson, CEO of the Nambucca Heads at Local Aboriginal Land Council, Alex Christie from Lendlease, Peter Hall, the founder of Hunter Hall, and Wendy Johnston, Salesforce Vice President of of marketing for the Asia Pacific. This has been another episode of Insight Edge with me, Kirsten Lees. You can read more about leadership from the Australian Institute of Management at leadershipmatters.com.au. Let us know what you think by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review, or get in touch via email research at aim.com.au. My name's Kirsten Lees. Thank you.